Okay, welcome back everybody to another episode of Collaborative Effort. This is a very special one because today I get to uh, introduce you guys to and talk to where I literally came from and where I get my name from. Uh, my guest today is my father, Anthony Hadley Sr. Uh, he is calling in and joining me from Omaha, Nebraska. As I just uh, told him, and, and what's even more special about this is this is actually on Father's Day, so I'm having this conversation with my father on Father's Day. But um, as I told him, I, I feel like I'm in a very unique position uh, being in Los Angeles in the middle of all of this movement that's going on right now. And I have a very unique perspective on things, uh, having grown up being the son of a police officer. So to be able to have this conversation with my father, who is a retired police officer, but not only that, but joined the force uh, in the late 60s and on the tail end of the civil rights era, I think he could offer a lot of unique perspective on things. So thank you, sir. I want you to just introduce yourself real quick and then we will jump in. My name is Anthony W. Hadley Sr. All right. Um, so for those that I go don't by the know, name, of, I go by the name of Tony, though. Yes. Yes, you do. Uh, so for those that don't know, tell us where you uh, were born and raised, what city, and tell us a little bit about that. I was that. born in Chicago, Illinois, uh, it was 19, October of 1939, and uh, we, well, we moved around in that my dad, when he got out of, he went in the service, but he got out, and we moved to uh, Portland, Oregon because he was going to go into ship, it's a ship, ship, ship building there, shipyards there, shipbuilding. But uh, he and my mother didn't like it. So we left and uh, came back to Chicago. My mother, my sister, Jackie, and I came back to Chicago. And mm -hmm. he came to Omaha, Nebraska. And then uh, in March of uh, 1947, March the 12th, to be exact, 1947, mm -hmm. we joined him in Omaha, Nebraska, and been here ever since. Okay. So I know you spent some time serving in the military. Just give us a brief um, overview on that, about your time and your experiences in the military, what branch you served, um, where you served at, and, you know, just give us some background on okay. that. Okay. I enlisted in the Air Force twice mm -hmm. in, uh, in January of the... Uh, uh, 57, yes, mm -hmm. because the first time I did it, I, I was 17, but they said I had, had to have my parents' permission, so I, had, I was in Des Moines at the time, so I had to come back to Omaha and mm -hmm. get their permission and then come back to Des Moines and, 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 and enlist again. And so from there, I had my first ride on a the, I think they call it Goonie Bird, C-47. Mm -hmm. I thought I was, I thought I was going to die and go to, go to hell because that had, uh, <laughs> the plane dropped. I forget what they call it right now, but, and oh boy, everybody got scared. But anyway, we made it to, to Lackland Air Force Base. And mm -hmm. I thought being in Texas, in the South, having never been there before, I thought the South was hot. I'd get down there in January and about froze. <laughs> it was freezing down there, mm -hmm. but I made it through and uh, basic training. But then I also, I uh, 
went to Air, Air Police School there. It is on the other side of the base in San Antonio. And mm -hmm. then when I graduated from there, I came home for 30 days, but I was assigned to uh, March Air Force Base, Riverside, California. Right. So I came home for a few days and then it went to March to Riverside. And I got there and uh, let me see, about April, I forget what month it was, 57. And September of 57, I made my first trip TD, TDY to uh, Fairbanks, Allison Air Force Base. Fairbanks, Alaska. Mm -hmm. And at that time, second day up there, I was sick. And I went on sick call. And a few hours later, I remember it was about 10.30, flight sergeant came looking for me. I don't know why, what happened. He hadn't heard anything from me. Mm -hmm. And this nurse, she was a captain. She's about six foot three or four. She was so tall. And actually, she did have a hump in her back, but she was mean. Now, <laughs> I mean, I'm serious. The NCOs, she would make them strip the floor and wax it every other day. Mm -hmm. And she was, she, she told my flight sergeant she hadn't, ever, she hadn't seen me. And you know what I, and the, the major, the captain, the doctor is the major. I was sitting right outside his office. He said, well, this man's been sitting here all the, all the time and nobody ever said anything. So that made me be on her list. <laughs> well, I was in the hospital there for about a week and I got out. I couldn't wait to get, 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 back, get out of there. Now, what had happened, that's when that Asiatic flu broke out and, and we, nobody knew what it was at the time. And I, I was one mm -hmm. of the first to get it then. But uh, being as I was just up there TDY, Everybody else had gone back to March, and I was still up there. Right. And I. And this was, was where Fairbanks. Fairbanks, Alaska, Allison okay. Air Force Base. Now, when I went up there, I went up there as a replacement for someone else. So actually, they had not cut orders for me to go. Mm -hmm. So when I got out of the hospital and I, and I reported to base ops to see about getting back to March. They had no orders for me being there. I'm out of the country <laughs> illegally. <laughs> so it took, I kept checking with them and it took 30 days for them to finally get some orders for me to come up there, to right. come back. And actually the way it happened, they told me, well, a tanker, KC-135 was from March was up there and I was gonna come back on that. And I said, okay. Two hours later, he told me, "Get your class A's because your, your your orders are here, and you're going to go back. Uh, going to go back uh, commercial." <laughs> well, I had one one class A uniform, and 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 no, all my art degree was gone. All I had was a B15 jacket. So, I uh, they gave me a. 3D priority. Now, what does that that's, mean? A, that's a high priority in that when I left Allison, I went down mm -hmm. to Anchorage, it flew from Allison through to Anchorage, and from Anchorage to we call SeaTac, uh, Tacoma, Tacoma, Seattle, Tacoma. Mm -hmm. 
And but when I got to Anchorage, though, uh, there's only one seat left from there to SeaTac. And this colonel, he thought he was going to get it, but I had a higher priority to get back to the oh, States. Wow. <laughs> so I bumped the colonel in. Oh, wow. Now that's saying yeah. something. Well, okay. I got back to Seattle, and then they uh, took me on a commercial flight from there to Riverside. Well, I mean, to Los Angeles. When I got to LA. I said, how am I going to get to River, get, get to the base? I haven't been paid in over 30 days. Mm-hmm. And it's, I didn't tell them I had $2. Well, they gave me, I got a helicopter ride from there, from LA to Riverside. Well, wow. The bus was a quarter, so I paid the bus fare a quarter to get to Riverside. <laughs> Riverside to the base, and it was—I it, enjoyed that because there were some new new uh, recruits coming in there, and everybody, you know, the gate had to get off. But it, my, it just so happened that my flight was working uh, the base the security that day, and and I already had a Class A pass, so mm-hmm. I just stayed on the bus until I got around my my barracks and got off. What year was this? 1957. September, October of 1957. Okay. So, go ahead, go ahead. Then in uh, January of uh, 58, I went TDY back to Alaska, but this time to Elmendorf Air Force Base down at Anchorage. I loved it down there. There's a, there's a sign, there used to be a sign above, the, as you're coming in, it says Anchorage, All-America City. <laughs> and I tell you what, everybody there, hey, they had to have a Cadillac. I saw so many people with Cadillacs, they couldn't even drive because they had no gas, <laughs> but they had a Cadillac. Yeah, I know growing up, you always said if you could go anywhere, you would go to Alaska. Tell me more about what it was in Alaska that made it so beautiful or always made you want to go there. Oh, it, it, I just enjoyed it. It was just... I enjoyed it up there, relaxing, and or actually, I, I could walk. I walked from the base to to from town to the base a couple times. Mm-hmm. But uh, there were a number of number of us up there, black folks up there. Uh, but like I said, and there, those are the ones that hit with the Cadillac, of course. <laughs> mm-hmm. But now. And I think it was about April, yes. I've been up there three months. And then they, I got, I got off, I was, well, wait a minute. While I was up there, I ran into a gentleman there that from Omaha, Charles mm-hmm. Young. And uh, Charles, he showed me how to cut hair. He cut his own hair. Mm-hmm. That's how I learned to cut my hair. Well, you've been and cutting your own hair ever since. That's right. In fact, I just cut it today. It hadn't been cut in a month, and I cut it today. Oh, I got no hat off, so you can see it's cut. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you got your crew but, cut. But uh, uh, orders came out, and everybody was, was moving out And from March. Uh, Korea, Japan was already taken up. Korea, I know, I ain't going to Korea, it's too cold. Morocco. I said, yes, send me to Morocco. Mm-hmm. So I left there. Now, up in, up in Isleson, in Fairbanks, it was 65 below. 
Yes, and you and when you're out there on you know on, on you know on duty, you no more than two hours. You're two hour shifts because it's so cold. Right. Uh, everybody <laughs> drinking coffee. I'm drinking ice water. <laughs> <laughs> but then when we came down, when I came back, like I said, and I was down at down at uh, Elmendorf, and I I enjoyed it there. But see, when we were up there the first time, we were up, up at Allison, we were TDY there. That's when they, they first started the, the the government, the Air Force reflex. Anyway, our B-47s were up there. Mm -hmm. TDY and B-47s and also B-36s. Well, I was under B-36 when I got sick, but that was in Allison. But when I came back to Elmendorf, oh, I enjoyed it, like I said. Um, okay. Well, I want to jump forward some years. I want you to uh, tell me about when you, in Nebraska, joined the police force. Well, I uh, came back to Omaha in 1959. I think it was 59, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, so when I went over there, all my civilian clothes got, the government calls pilfered or stolen. So they had, to, they had to reimburse me, pay me money. So before I came back, I got all new clothes. So I ordered mm -hmm. mine from England, Oxford Street in, in London, England. So I, when I came to, back to Omaha, I, uh, hey, I was, I was dressed. Clean. And clean as a whistle. I had three-piece suits with French cuffs back in 59. <laughs> well, I went on back to, to March Air Force Base. But then when I uh, got off active duty, I came back here and... I initially thought I was going to be here two weeks because I had a, a nine different places lined up at the time to, for application for a job. All of them were in law enforcement. One mm -hmm. I found out later I, I never would have gotten, and that was Los Angeles Police Department because you had to be six feet tall and white. <laughs> well, I, that, no. I, was, I was out. <laughs> but I was here. I got, I got here. Friday the 13th of January, 1961. Mm -hmm. And see, Friday, the people always say Friday the 13th was bad. Hey, I, that was my good luck day, I guess. And uh, Monday, my mother took me over to Armors to see about the job. And I went over there in a suit. I wasn't for no job. Well, I, did, I got hired. I didn't know that she knew people. She was a steward herself, and they knew people in the name hired me. So I came back the next day and I worked for two weeks. Now, after that second week, I got that paycheck. I said, whoa, wait a minute. Uh, Uncle Sam had been giving me $86 every two weeks. And here I got $150 for one week. I said, stick around here for a while. <laughs> so I stayed at Armour's until I left there in uh, 68. But each time that the uh, 
the union would, the, the contract would expire. I go down, go down to the city, city hall, put in for the police department. Well, they'd get it, get it settled, and I'd say, uh, I didn't go take no chance. I stay there. Well, finally, mm -hmm. in, in, in 60, 60, 68 or 60, I went ahead and took the test. And uh, became a police officer. Now, let me ask you what, how much of, I guess, the racism and how much of the, the, the vibe was, of vibe. It was 69, not 68. Okay, okay. So, but how much overt racism could you see in Omaha around that time? And then how much of the energy of the, the civil rights movement was prevalent in Omaha, Nebraska around that time? Really, I didn't see that much. I mean, mm -hmm. at, uh, at that time, 72nd Street was was far worse as anybody was going to go because it was, it was cornfield, right. and, and 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 hey, we went wherever we wanted, and hey, and everything was right there. And in, in, in North Omaha was called the Deuce, 24th Street, mm -hmm. and we had we had clubs there. I mean. Uh, uh, Big time bands would come here. Oh yeah, no, there's a rich history of yeah. North Omaha and all these performers. So, okay, so let me go ahead. I, I I never did. Only one time did I ever experience any racism, and I was on the police department then. But what it was, it was a, I was out with a, a gentleman I had met, and he went on the went on the ride along with me. The ride along mm -hmm. is where you take citizens to go out and all. Well, yes. afterwards, we went out to have coffee. And uh, he wanted to go to this one coffee house. I said, well, I don't know. I've never been in here. But I don't know if we ever go in there. Well, we went in. And they said, well, we can't serve you. <laughs> Not me. They couldn't serve mm -hmm. you. Well, the gentleman, he had, he, he's a millionaire. He, he yeah, buy this so-and-so and so. I said, well, come on now. Let's, 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 let's get out of here because I don't want no problems. But anyway, uh, mm -hmm. that's, that's the first and only time I ever experienced it. Now, it also, Peony Park, back when I was growing up, uh, I, we, 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 we didn't go out there, except uh, I went to my first dance as a, as a teenager, a pitcher. Mm -hmm. My parents, first, my first formal, I was a teenager out of Peony Park, and Peony Park, it would rent out to minorities, but the pool, but the uh, they had they had the, play, the playground and all that in the pool. No, you couldn't go there. Hmm. Okay, so you would see there were certain things that were segregated, but you just your personal experience wasn't the same as a lot of people. Yes, I didn't. Okay. We didn't. I didn't care about it. Mm -hmm. So, so let me ask you then this now, because um, you, I would imagine, you'll have a unique perspective. What are your thoughts on everything in the current climate now um, when you do see, um, you know, young black men dealing with police brutality, if not being killed by police officers and the response to it? Uh, what are your thoughts on the whole climate of everything right now as, as a black man and as a retired police officer? Well, first off, I said 69, it was 68. Yeah, the last ride was 68. Okay. Uh, I've learned one thing from the riots. 
being 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 out there in the riots. As a police officer. Yes, and and uh, the one uh, what started it all here that last time was a young lady, young girl, 14 years old, Vivian Strong, was killed by a police officer in the project. She black, white, Hispanic. She was black. He was black. white. Okay. Mm-hmm. And that started that started it all then. Well, what drew me into it was we were working four officer, 12 hour shifts, four, four to a car. And uh, this this day uh, I was guarding the fire firefighters as they were trying to put out the fire at the ice house. Mm-hmm. And somebody I don't know I never I never did know who it was but Tony Tony Hadley how'd you like it that was your daughter I've been standing there about an hour and with this shotgun port arms and I moved my feet you know tired and and, and, and moved my body a little and everybody hit the ground I guess <laughs> they, they thought I was going to be because the gun came down some and they right. thought I was going to shoot into the crowd and the other officers later told me they don't know how I was able to stand there all that taunting. I know that they couldn't hurt me but doing that. Mm-hmm. And, and also, two other times, uh, we got shot at. We got shot at. And mm-hmm. like once they hit the door, right where I was sitting, just below the door. And now, if they wanted to hit me, they could have, because we saw where it came from. But Mm-hmm. All it was was trying to get us to retaliate, to to, to, to to fire back, because it was just one one you know casual shooting and, and nothing else. Right. Another time it was on, on another, somebody else on another street that it happened, but then we, we we came through it without any without any major problems. Mm-hmm. But your thoughts, I've, though. Well, one, my, my thoughts on that. I've learned that outside agitators are the ones mm-hmm. who come in and, 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 and get things stirred up. Mm-hmm. And all it takes is two people, one or two people. And you get those, get those one or two people in, and they'll get the crowd stirred up, and then they can back off into the crowd, and the crowd's gone. Crazy. Right. And, and and we've seen that in these protests, how they have escalated to riots, and, and most right. of those have been, well, a, a few of them at least have been proven to be outsiders or agent provocateurs or people that are mm-hmm. just trying to derail what the actual thing is. Um, right. So yeah, no, I, I agree, and you've seen that firsthand. Um, but no, I'm not, I'm not going to let you all the way off the hook. What, is, what are your thoughts on what is happening? I, it, it would at least appear, because I don't have the statistics in front of me, that statistically young black men do uh, suffer a different fate with run-ins from the police officers. Um, Definitely. More... Okay. Because uh, it's, it's a different different breed of people. You've got, you've got police officers and you've got police officers. You've got, you've got uh, people that are people. Oh, I don't say that are people. You've got People that are kind to say one another, but then you've got some that are who will, who will kick a dog. Yes, and and so there there is racism is what what it is. It's what I'm trying to say. Yes, there is, 
but it's not overt. And, and it just, it, 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 for the most part, it, it, it's, it's under control. Mm -hmm. most, but, you, but you're going to have it. And it, it, it's, it's not something that people were born with. It's something, it's a, it's a learned thing. And, and it's just like, it's learned, it's learned that people learn to get out of it. Uh, just like when I was, when I was a, a police officer, first, my uh, first few months. Now, I was the only black in that crew, but my, uh, the, uh, Flight, oh heck, I can't. Anyway, my sergeant, not sergeant, he, training officer, yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, we, we would stop and get, get coffee and or, uh, not, uh, Orange Julius, yeah, mm -hmm. every day. But then later, we never see any, any of the others. And finally, after a while, after a couple, two or three months, they saw that I could be sort of trusted. I was, I was, I was okay and it was not, a rebel rouser, then hey, I saw where they met up and, and, and relaxed that. I, I became part of the crew. All right. I was I was accepted. Yeah, I can see that. So let me ask you this, um, and this is I don't know if there's any right or wrong answer, but um, a lot of the sentiment you will see now, and, and let me finish the question before, because I know you'll jump to answer, but a lot of the sentiment you'll see now is for defunding the police. Um, but I, defunding the police. Oh. Because you, you oh, and as I said, no, let me finish. Because you will see, um, and, and I'm not saying uh, there's a separate um, ideology of defunding the police and then another separate one for abolishing the police. I'm speaking to defunding the police. And, and that, I believe, speaks to when you see a lot of the militarization of the police. But with that, I saw, and I talked about this with a friend, there was a, um, a podcast and there was a former Navy SEAL on there. And he explained from his standpoint that most of these police officers need, he thinks the solution is they need more training because they have the most minimal amount of training compared to any other, and, and you would understand, um, of the military arm, or the, the military in general. Um, so I wonder, because I, I know personally I am for a partial reallocation of funds from, especially in the, the portion that goes to militarizing the police and put that into the community and programs. But I do also understand that these people are put in tough situations every day. And just as a human being, we get worn down and we get burnt out and we get pushed over the edge. So I can only imagine what a police officer has to go through. So I think they're not just physical, tactical training, but um, something for, for mental health and being burnt out and, and everything else and learning how to deal with things. But I am curious as to what your thoughts are on those topics across the board. Well, defunding, I mean, you see, that, that's a, that, can, that can go a lot of different ways. And that's what I said. We're not talking about abolishing. We're just talking about like reallocating a, a certain amount of the funds, not escalating the uh, the militarization of the police. That's what I'm speaking to specifically. I'm not talking about everything else. Well, if you're going to, I mean, you, you, if you take away funds, it's okay, uh, they need training. Absolutely. They need more training. And uh, now they're doing uh, for men, 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 mental health and all that. Mm -hmm. Well, we, we never did that. In fact, 
when I, before I retired, when I was a sergeant, mm-hmm. <laughs> I used to tell some of the guys in my, in my, that worked for me and my crew, hey, you, 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 you are a glorified social worker. You're not a police officer. <laughs> I mean, you're a police officer, yes, but then you, tell me, you're not a crime fighter. That's what they yeah. say, crime fighter. What crime has you solved? Or yeah. have you, have you stopped, have you crime, have you prevented from happening by being there? None. I said, you're a glorified social worker because most of the calls you get nowadays, back then and today, are social calls. Absolutely. Things that um, family orientated, husband and wife and whatever. We, you get to, we make calls that you make a, you know who the persons are on a field of first name basis with them. You make them so regular. Absolutely. That's why you become a social worker. And, and I, I agree with that. I just want to interject. I, and, and I'm not disagreeing with any of that. But I, I also, I think that is true. And I think there needs to be more training to deal with those things. Because most people, even when there was a short time I thought about being a police officer, you think about fighting crime. But the reality is you're going to be de-escalating a lot of situations. And that actual um, Navy SEAL spoke to the fact that they need more de-escalation training. Uh, awesome. Because there's, there's oh, oh, no, real quick. Because there's also, there's that, um, there's that phrase that if you give somebody a hammer everything looks like a nail. So it's one of those things I do believe if you are trained to go into a situation with a certain mindset, you're always going to be, not, not everybody, but there are certain people that will go looking for conflict rather than de-escalating. But you have the floor, sir. Well, see, also, uh, talk about PTSD, the military. Mm-hmm. The police officers go through that, but they don't ever, there's never, it's never, been brought out. Now, exactly. they, they, they just since I've retired, they have uh, got, uh, we had chaplains. Chaplains mm-hmm. were, chaplains were to go, when I went there, were going out on calls for people to help others. Mm-hmm. You know, situations where there might have been a death or something like that, the chaplain would help them. But hey, Police officers need need a little bit of something there because I Absolutely. can speak I can speak for myself that PTSD yes we went through we I, I, I had it suffered it myself mm-hmm. and you how you handle it is different each each yeah. I mean oh no I I, I agree people, and I... some people don't don't handle things well and that's when uh, they have problems. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it manifests themselves different ways. Uh, some drink, some whatever. I drank, mm-hmm. but I also talked, prayed, and yes, the Lord take the taste away, and He did. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But then they asked me, "Can I come back? Have one?" Every now <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, no. I, I think, and I'm hoping that's something that does come from all of this is the the awareness that I think um, support. Now, that's for, part of training. Well, no, no, but the, the support for for PTSD and mental health awareness within the police force and that type of support is given and that type of training is given along with other tactical and de-escalation and any other training um, that is needed. So I, I do hope that comes from it because I, I, I've witnessed that. I, I, I understand that. I mean, I think any human, I think any human being can suffer from PTSD, let alone somebody that goes through the things that a police officer goes through every day. So I agree. Every day is a different day. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, you can, uh, you, you can't, you, you can, you can't go out and say, well, I'm gonna do this today and that. No, every day is a different day. Only thing is different. Only thing the same is when you get a call to a certain address. Oh, there's so and so <laughs> at it again. Okay. And you just separate them, and hey, it's a job that everybody, I don't think everybody's equipped to handle. Absolutely. You, you, you have to learn to, you have to learn. It's a, it's a learning process on the job. How to, how to handle your, how to handle yourself so that you can handle other people. Remember I said, just now I said handle yourself. Yeah, it, it all starts from within and with yourself. Oh yes. Well, thank you, sir, for sharing your words of wisdom. Um, if you have anything else to share, you can, uh, I'll leave it to you now or we'll wrap up. Well, okay. I'll say one thing. You see back then, when I retired, this was 22 years, 22 years ago. Mm -hmm. So I'll go back, say, 23 or 24 years. The uh, juveniles, they were what we call wannabes. Mm -hmm. And when there was a disturbance out there, people were fighting, throwing rocks. Then later, they proceeded to start cutting with knives. Then they start shooting bullets, throwing bullets. So, you know, hey, uh, wannabes are full-fledged gang members now, teenagers, full-fledged gang members, teenagers. And, mm -hmm. it, it, and it, it's, it's, it's a shame, but I don't put all the blame on them. The blame, I blame the parents. Uh, I remember 30, at least 30 years ago, one Sunday, I was, before I went to church, there was a, a, a radio broadcast and the lady, she was, they asked her, well, what does she think about things out there today? She said, well, the kids are raising the people. The kids are raising <laughs> the parents. And I said, yeah. yes, she's right. She's right. The kids are raising the parents. Very true. And, 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 and see, they can do what they want and get away with it and because the parents aren't around or they're doing, off doing their own thing. And mm -hmm. that, hey, that's not, that's not a way. Now, no. I admit I wasn't around all the time, but I, I, I made sure that, that if you all had what you needed and, and sometimes what you, want, what you wanted and what you needed. Mm -hmm. And uh, I tried to do the best I could then, but then, hey, I, I was no angel, still no angel, <laughs> I'm an angel now. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll let you have that. And that is where we are going to sign off. And with that, I will say I appreciate your service from your career. And I appreciate everything you've done as a father and as a man for setting the example. And I thank you for sharing your evening because it's two hours later there than it is here with me on Father's Day. And I love you and thank you. You're welcome. You have a good day. You too. All right. Bye-bye. Love you. Love you too. Bye-bye. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, accidentally cut him off. But he knows I love him. Um,
that was definitely a, a very unique episode and hopefully you guys appreciate it or have some thoughts or comments. If you do, leave them in the comment section. Uh, and I will see you guys next Monday with a whole new episode. Till then, take care of yourselves and each other.